Hey, this is Mark Lee Morrison, and you're listening to a very exciting episode of Low Profile. In 1991, a group of young men from Leicester, England, formed a band that combined punk rock, shoegaze, and Punjabi folk music. The combo was called Corner Shop, and they released several singles, EPs, and an album on small record labels, eventually being signed to David Byrne's Luaka Bob label, gaining fans around the globe. Their album from 1997, When I Was Born for the Seventh Time, got the attention of DJs and music lovers everywhere. Notably, Fatboy Slim, whose remix of their single, Brimful of Asha, went to the top of the charts with a bullet. While Corner Shop never replicated that feat of commercial success, the last 23 years have seen the band continue to evolve. Their latest album, England is a Garden, is a vibrant and upbeat collection of new songs that work as a great remedy to these pandemic blues. Tejinder Singh is the leader of the band, and I got to have a lovely conversation with him about Corner Shop's journey over the years. Before we hear the interview, I need to ask for your help to keep this show moving forward. There are a few ways you can help. Leave a rating and review on iTunes. Subscribe so you don't miss out on the next episode. Tell a friend and make a standing donation by going to patreon.com slash lowprofile. Thanks so much for being a great audience. Now here's the first single from England is a Garden, St. Marie Under Cannon, followed by my interview with Tejinder Singh. Tejinder, where are you? Uh, I'm at home in London, in Stoke Newington, N16, Hackney, North London. Lovely. And uh, we were just listening to a clip of uh, St. Marie Under Cannon, the lead-off single from your new album, England is a Garden. And I was wondering, uh, I want to get deep into some background info on the band, but if we could start by just talking about that single. Uh, well, St. Marie Under Cannon, the demo version um, came along in France. I recorded the demo there and um, the chorus was something that came to me. And so it was the chorus then ad-libbing all the rest of it. And it sounded quite good. Very simple. My wife's name is Marie, so she was a bit... Uh, perplexed by it but um it sounded good so when i got back to london i then put some the beat to it and then we uh, augmented it from there and really it was it was um lots of different images that were uh, being put over in that song and at the time i wasn't writing too many lyrics so it was a lot of mumblings as well and uh, so it took a bit of time to fill those mumblings in. Sometimes going back to mumblings. Um, 
And but the song's about um, it goes back qu- quite a while into empire, British Empire, and then uh, colonialism, and then it's got modern day uh, um, aspects to it. And really, it's about uh, conquering different peoples and um, not so many savoury things like that and uh, looking for the benevolence of uh, of Saint Marie to uh, ask for forgiveness forgiveness on an account maybe I'm I'm singing for for the British um, rather than uh, rather than uh, them singing it themselves <laughs> so there there's always been a lot of a uh, sort of socio-political theme to your songs um, from the very beginning. Um, this is your seventh proper full-length album that's a sort of a non-collaborative effort. Yeah, yeah. We, we decided that if we didn't do any collaborations, then that would be something different that we haven't done for quite a long time. So we went back to uh, not having any names on it. Yeah, it's been... Uh, 11 years since uh, Judy Sucks a Lemon for Breakfast, which uh, I, I thought was a terrific and uh, much welcomed uh, to my ears release. Judy sucks a lemon for breakfast And Jojo takes the morning chew Urban Turban, which was the collection of singles that you'd put out over the years on your label Ample Play, and uh, I really, um, I really enjoyed yeah. those as they came out, and I was really happy uh, that you put those out as a collection. It worked quite well as an album, I thought. I think the background to all of that is that the music industry was changing so much. And when we put out a song like an album like Judy Sucks Eleven for Breakfast, it was very much in the similar sort of vein as um well it wasn't because it's a very different album, but um I think the intent behind it was very much like hand cream for a generation. But the music industry had changed quite a lot and it wasn't really um responsive to that kind of music. Um so we did the Bubbly Core album, which is uh, an Asian vocal with uh, more beats-based uh, music. And then we went on to collaborations that we'd done with people and, as you said, made in, made up the Urban Turban album. And then after that, we actually did an easy listening album of uh, renditions of the first album that we've ever done and made it uh, into an easy listening album. And that was called Hold, Hold On It's Easy. Um, and then this, this album, the new album, sort of has taken quite a lot of time. But uh, we felt it was a, the right time to come out now and that 
that the industry would be a little more responsive. We didn't realise it would be this more responsive because we have sort of... Uh, people are really into it and uh, we have made up for a lot of lost time with this album, so we're very happy about that. Yeah, I forgot about Hold On, It's Easy. And that, yeah, just uh, sort of... Yeah. Very. Uh, that, that was an unexpected surprise as well. Um, I, I'd like to play a little clip of a Born Disco Died Heavy Metal. Uh, first, the original version from Hold On It Hurts, and then segue into Hold On It's Easy so the listeners can sort of hear what the idea was there. heard that um where where the hell did you come up with uh that idea? was it a were you just joking around or how how did that come about well I, I thought of the idea actually in a plane and i spoke to alan who's our keyboard player and we talked about it and um then within a few months uh, we we were we were doing it um the maybe it was the altitude but the original was very noisy and but we always and we didn't particularly like the way that it was recorded but we were on a very independent label and all the money that was going in was our money so we didn't want to waste their time and money and neither did we want to waste ours so we felt we, we should just go with whatever was recorded if we had our time again we wouldn't have persevered like that we would have scrapped it all and started again because we feel that it, it, it didn't come out very well. But that's what makes it different, and that's what it shows the progression of the group as well, so we're happy about that. But we did feel that there were melodies in there, and um, we brought them out with the Easy Listening uh, album. And we thought that was quite a nice little twist to, to do that. Not many groups can do that, and um, not many groups can... Uh, can can execute a, a whole easy, a whole album as well. Um, I think a lot of groups were talking about doing live albums, uh, executing just live albums on stage, and we've never done that. We've always hated the idea of that. Um, so maybe this is our version version of that. I, I've noticed a theme since I, I've been following you guys uh, since. When I was born for the seventh time came out, I went right out and went back to Woman's Gotta Have It, went backwards until I had 
all that previous material and then have mm -hmm. been keeping up ever since, you know, I was right. eagerly anticipating the nice surprise. Oh, great. Um, Clinton was the uh, side project of you and Ben Ayers. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, 1999. And it sort of fed in the Clinton album was more technology based and it sort of fed into what we were doing with corner shop anyway. So, um, yeah, it was a nice thing to do. Yeah. I'd say there's a very thin line between the, the two between Clinton and corner shop. Yeah, it became that. I think especially with Hand Cream for a Generation. I mean, actually, there were songs that we did for Clinton that we then moved over. Well, actually, there's People Power in the Disco Hour, which was then also used in uh, Hand Cream for a Generation. It was a Clinton track beforehand. And I think there were a couple of other ideas as well that were uh, started as Clinton tracks, and then we moved them over to, to uh, Corner Shop tracks. We're going to take this movement One day to get the handwrite this shit. I people power in the disco hour. People power in the disco hour. People power in the disco hour. It's gonna be people power in the disco hour. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, to and fro between the two. Now, one thing I've enjoyed as a fan of your music is that you tend to um, reinvent yourselves, uh, reinvent your previous material sometimes, uh, a lot of catchphrases that you'll repeat in different songs throughout the albums. And uh, I've noticed say like uh things like motion the 11 is a phrase that comes up in more than one song that was a, is that a dance move uh yeah motion the 11 yeah it's, it's like uh it's like when you bring an airplane in uh you motion the 11 you put your two arms up and then there also is the other dance movers of the air, of the airplane wheel where where you move your, just your foot. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I had never heard that phrase before, but uh, it's it's a move that I've uh, taught my children at the very least. <laughs> That's very nice. I was going to say that someone today was mentioning on Twitter how their baby has been brought up with uh, corner shop songs and. Um, how um how much they like the music and the kid likes the music so and we've always we've always encouraged that there's been two things that we sort of use to test albums one is if babies and young kids like it and move to it and the second one is does it work when we're driving back on the motorway um so we and and if if we can get both of those right we we think we've got it uh, pretty much uh, sorted yeah sussed out for everybody yeah let's see what else you um music plus one is another catchphrase that you guys throw out once in a while 
And uh, I don't, I, I have always wondered what that meant. Um, music plus one, it's, it's a series of jazz um, learning stages, uh, music plus one. Um, so that was put in. Um, on, on the new album, I suppose that there there is a reference to Born Disco Died Heavy Metal with the heavy metal from the back of the stage. Heavy metal from the back of the stage. Yeah, I remember hearing that too. I caught that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I think Cash Money as a song title was mentioned with Otis Clay on Hand Cream. But the thing is, the, the whole title, uh, England is a Garden, is really, well, it's, it's, it's open-ended like most title, uh, most of our titles. But it also is the fact that it's a garden and there's other gardens around it. And hopefully you can open the garden gate and you can go into the other album of gardens that, that we've done. And those usage of the same lyrics just helps people uh, helps navigate them to the to the different albums hopefully one element that uh i was expecting and didn't get on england as a garden is mm. you've been dabbling with um hip-hop pretty much since uh 97 mm. maybe even maybe even earlier than that i guess with the your your loops and everything and this is a much more live feeling record. Yeah, we. Yeah, we we, we deliberately went for a more guitar based record without uh, too many um, changes to to technology based songs because uh, we didn't want to lose people. In the past, maybe they, they, those sort of segues or those songs of of not allowed things to flow and uh, we definitely wanted to go back to doing more guitar stuff so we basically kept it as the album went on we basically kept it uh, more more guitar there were other songs done that were uh, more sample based uh, but we just didn't think that they sounded we didn't want to interrupt the flow of what what was going on you reckon we're going to hear any of the outliers um well we actually did a few tracks that that we got ready for b-sides but that's apparently not uh, not done anymore people just release once one tracks for singles so th there's a few tracks yeah, that we... what happened to b-sides yeah i mean we've we've always actually liked doing b-sides and sometimes the b-sides have been a hell of a lot more interesting than the a-sides um but um we're also quite happy to know that uh, <laughs> we've got some more in our trunk. So we're, we're, uh, hopefully, maybe that'll go towards uh, another album. I, I'm not too sure. Well, yeah, it's a quite ominous time in the world and uh, pretty good timing for people to hunker down and listen to this really uplifting music that you make. And I'm hoping that... Uh, we can turn on some new fans right now. Um, this, yeah. this music will make you feel a little better. <laughs> well, it, 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 people are saying that, which is which is very nice of them. Um, it's um, it it does seem to sort of fit a hole, uh, and it is upbeat, and they do like it. And 
um, even though they're new songs, people think that they're that they sound like old songs, songs that they already know. So it it is uh, comforting for for people. Well, it seems to be so. Um, we're 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 very happy about that. As I say, I've, we we think it's going to get a whole lot worse. So it's uh, it's uh, it's it's if anyone can be comforted by it for even uh, ten minutes, then that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, you guys are really good at sounding like corner shop. <laughs> nope. Well, that's the biggest. No one can do it better. That's the biggest compliment there is. I mean, you know, some people say. Like with uh, when we put out no no rock saving roll that it sounds like the Stones it sounds like the Velvets it sounds like T Rex but it also sounds like Corner Shop as long as it sounds like Corner Shop then we're, we're happy because we wouldn't try to be like any of those other groups intentionally you'd fall very fast on your face um, but that that's a lovely compliment I don't know. I, well, we have tried to research why this might be, and our lab tests tell us that uh, we hardly ever use any minor notes. Those black keys, we just don't use them. Uh, and maybe that's why we're uh, a little more upful than than, uh, than most. That's yeah, that's a that's a good point. I, it's a uh, there's just a, sort of a lot of motifs. You know, maybe you'll use the same guitar riff again and. Use it a third time, a fourth time. Wow! Um, you just put a nice twist on it, and yeah, it becomes it becomes a whole new animal that's also very familiar. Um, and yeah, I think that's you, corner shop is reliable. That's that's what I can say. Oh well, that's that's wonderful. That's very good of you. After all those years, it's it's nice to be known as uh, as reliable. Now, um, in addition to sounding like Corner Shop, you've done a handful of covers over the years. Notably, you're, you translated Norwegian Wood into Punjabi, mm -hmm. and then you've also covered Johnny Cash, Manfred Mann, Johnny Horton, even. And and now, what what totally knocked me out was I was looking at the track listing for the new album before I even heard it. And I saw at the end of the record, The Holy Name by Hansa Duda Swami, who I didn't think anybody else was aware of, <laughs> much less one of my favorite bands. And that was just like Christmas present for me right there. Oh. Nothing to lose but all to gain. Convince the world to chant the holy name. This is one result of chanting the name Faster 
talk about Hansabuda and how you came to choose that song? How did you discover him? Yeah, I think I, I was over in New York in about 93 with uh, a Danish band I was producing them. And uh, I bought a handful of records and that was one of them. And um, it's pretty intriguing from, from the covers, from the cover. Um, and um, and then obviously listening to it it, it, it had a very communal sort of sound to it. And that song in particular is is uh, is quite a it's quite a train of a song. It it just carries on, but it it gets into your head and it 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 drives it drives into your into your skull. Um, so I, I've always thought that maybe at some stage uh, we'd we'd want to do that. And so we took it more in the sort of hippie direction and more of the we, we we've got a choir of people that are the local uh, primary school parents choir because we didn't want anything with too much finesse we want it to sound like a, a hippie canteen and we also got them singing in the canteen to get that sort of uh, flavor out of it and with uh, people just talking and screaming and uh babies crying and different languages going off in the background um, and people joining in ad hocly um, to to give it that sort of live sense and that that then goes back to not just the hippie times but also to my sort of times at the temple where um, where things were ad hoc and babies would be passed over whilst um, devotional songs are being sung and money would be given and Lots of things would be going on whilst the artists uh, just just carry on. Uh, so th there was a lot of thought as to which way to take it, and uh, and that was one way of doing it. Maybe one, maybe we'll do a version w without the um, without the canteen choir at some stage. Uh, people seem to like that track, and uh, it's a great track. Yeah, it sure is. And yeah, like I said, what a surprise. I'd like to... <laughs> well, it, it's a surprise that, that other people know it. Which... All right. Another recurring right. theme in your songs. Uh, a word that I did not know the meaning of. And I'm guessing most of my listeners are uh, American and probably don't know. Wog. Mm. Can we talk about this for a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. We, we've always uh, we've always liked to use the word. Um, it's very offensive to some people. Uh, it's misunderstood by other people. We've always considered that it's an acronym of uh, Western Oriental gentle gentleman, or nowadays Western Oriental gentle person. Um, sure. Again, it's got a lot of history to it uh, because it's. Again, uh, something from colonialism. Um, so we, other people get very offended by it. We think that it should be kept in the lexicon because, um, because of the offence that it's created in the past, and because uh, we need to remember uh, how things were. Um, so we we try to. I think we've done, used it about four four times, and we've probably used it a few few more times in demos as well 
Um, yeah, it's striking. It's it's a bit like the N word. Um, it's it's a reclamation of a, of a word, uh, and um, you because it can be dignified if you break it down to Western Oriental gentleman or gentle person. It's got sure. an air of grace about it. Um, which is unfortunately the antithesis of of what uh, it's it's known for. Right. I mean, I feel a little bit awkward even saying it, um, or being compelled to sing along to uh, <laughs> like the yeah. the song on the new album. <laughs> yeah. Much like I mean, it's yeah, kind of like when uh, Kendrick Lamar came out, and I knew all the words to his songs, but I would just uh, say. Uh, fellow or gentleman in yeah. place of yeah. the words I'm not supposed to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that probably is one of the most catchiest songs on, on the album, and it, and, it, and it it does stick with you. You do find yourself and it's a serious song. It's a, very, it's a very upbeat, fun, catchy song, but um, it's uh, the lyrics are of a very serious nature. Um, I, I actually... I'm going to play a clip of it here, if we could just, like, take a breath. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll ask you to comment on that particular song. So, uh, will you will you introduce the song, actually, so I don't have to say the words? Uh, yeah, this is Everywhere That Wagami Roam from the new Corner Shop album. Every, everywhere that Wagami What a terrific song, and uh, also uh, somewhat harrowing. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know, you said that it's very serious. We had, a, again, tweet, because I'm isolated. Someone tweeted, uh, and she's she's a, quite a respected uh, Asian um, TV presenter. She tweeted that it, it was quite funny. So... <laughs> So, you know, you you get the uh you get all sorts of uh well, all sorts of thoughts and that's what a song that's that's the that's the beauty of a song that you can uh, that it that it can mean totally different things uh depending on who you are or where you hear it or what time you hear it. Um yeah, a lot of people ask us why 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 do we just stick to music? We haven't really done that much else. I personally love songs because I think to write a book about some of the issues that I sing about is is would would take a damn long time, um, and it it doesn't express itself as immediately as as a song, and a song can stay there, and it could stay there and not do anything for for years, and then it can suddenly burst out and people can understand it and. That seems to be what, what what's happened with with happening with our catalogue. People are suddenly starting to understand elements of it that they didn't get before, and so the whole story of not just 
album to album, but within the songs is also uh, informs it, it all informs itself and uh, makes for uh, makes for a book. <laughs> At the end of the day, it doesn't make sure. for a book. <laughs> Well, what I took what I took from that song is just like that. It's a it's a commentary on racial profiling, yes, by the police. Yes. Mm. I mean, my uncle was actually raided, and um, yeah, in 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 his house, and that was with uh, machine guns, and uh, so that was that was quite heavy stuff. And I do know the people that that have been raided of course and um, actually we've got a video done for it and the vi the the video person was talking about a, very much a hard angle on it and he said when the police come in it's going to get really rough and i said i don't we don't need it rough the song itself talks about the roughness the video doesn't need to do that uh, we can pull back from that um because the song itself is damn rough i mean Essentially, it's basically going back to what Lennon said, that uh, woman is the nigger of the world. Uh, and it's a, an interpretation that uh, in the 70s, Ras the Rastas were the ones that were pulled into the Black Mariah's police vans. And nowadays, it's it's the Asians uh, that, that are persecuted in, in that way. And so it talks about Rastas being uh, chucked around in a room. Um so it is heavy, it is quite political, um, but it's, uh, for some people it's funny, and for some people it's uh, it's very memorable. And for some people, I'm sure, because of the word that we talked about earlier, it'll be rather offensive. And, I mean, I suppose the word wog is also... Uh, some is is a term that some people think is for the African Caribbean community. I've never seen it like that, but um, so they might be offended by that as well. But and yeah, anyway, the story goes on. But now, do you do you use it slangily, like uh, you know, among other um, Indian British folks? I tend to use it whenever I, I like. Um, yeah, sure. But yeah, yeah, I've I've used it. Uh, I I use it with anyone um, because I I firmly believe that it that the word has the repercussions of, uh, that I talked about a bit earlier. But um, yeah, it's it's an it's a word with an exclamation on on the end of it, whether I want to put that exclamation mark there or not. Well, thank you for giving us an explanation today. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we already talked about the holy name. Um, yeah. Most of your albums tend to have one of those extended length jammers. And uh, those are always just, uh, you know, what, what I like about those songs is if you go to a, a place that has... A, an internet jukebox where you can look up songs, you really get more bang for your buck. You put in a <laughs> pick two songs. I could put on the the Turned On Truth oh. and uh, Jalander Sheer yeah. and I'm good for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of tea. It's, it's, uh, it's 
really saving my jukebox money. Yeah. Sheer is you did another thing where you kind of bookend an album, which you also did on Pan Cream for a Generation yeah. with Otis Clay yeah. um, as an MC. And for, for those of y'all who don't know who are listening, Otis Clay, he's, he's a gospel soul singer um, and he's got a great, terrific voice. And how you. you you must have. How did you reach out to him to be sort of your hike man? Um, well, two things actually. One, he's passed away. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years a few years ago. Um, but we we got to him because I liked Otis Clay, and I was listening to Otis Clay, and um, Yale Evlevert. Luark Bob Records, whose label we were on at the time, said that he could ask Otis to do some vocals for us. From Oldies McGee to Hyper May Sound, would you please give a warm San Francisco welcome as we move the program on? A warm welcome for the gender thing in Corner Shop. Yeah, yeah. So um, that that was arranged, and he was playing live at the time, and he did that in his dressing room uh, just before he went on stage, and recorded it on DAT, and sent it over. And by that time, we'd already had the music, so we actually just stuck it on, and it was basically there. It was done. Um, and the music you made for that track was very reminiscent of Otis Clay. So. It, it, it was. It, it was, um, which is probably why I, th I thought about him. Uh, it sort of reminds me of the um, Live in Tokyo album that Otis did, which is a, a corking, a corking um, album throughout. It's, it's very good. It's great audience participation. Japan obviously loves him. And that's also then inspired Welcome to Tokyo, Otis Clay, which is uh, a Clinton track as well. Just remember that. Right. Yeah. Another uh, self-referential thing. <laughs> yeah, well... I was just listening to uh, the Tokyo album this morning. I took a little side trip and listened to Otis Clay, and I was like, ah, I'm not really too far off the, off the map here. Well, we don't try to be like that, because, again, you can't really try to be anything. You'll fall flat. But, you know... Certainly, the spirit of it is... Yeah, you guys don't seem like you're trying. It seems very natural. Well, you know, I didn't want to bring it up. Me and Ben aren't musicians, and we've been doing it for quite a long time, and we could have easily said, okay, forget this. Let's get get <laughs> learning and uh, and uh, learn how to, to uh, work this piece of wood a bit more, but 
it's not really us so we've never done that and we've never we've well we, we've probably we've done that to a certain extent but we've never continued it one because we're, we're not very good at it two because if we did that then we'd be like everyone else and once you learn something you'd stay within the groove of what you've learned and we don't do that sometimes we think i think it's better not to do anything for a long time then when you've come back to your guitar something else and something different will will come come about it might not be the most professional execution of it but that's why we have other people there to to uh, to take to take that bit further um but it also melds what we do with what other people do, which, which sort of gives us our sound as well. What about the time you, you uh, collaborated with Allen Ginsberg? How did that come about? What's that story? We used to open our live shows with Allen Ginsberg's Howl when we first started out. And uh, we loved the execution of it, the sound of it, the quality, the roughness, the the length, the different areas that, uh, that that poem goes into. Um, and again, it was a case of being in New York. Well, we were in New York and uh, the idea came up that it would be a nice thing to do. And Yale, again, at Luarkabot, um, he, f- he just phoned Alan Ginsberg up, getting his number from the Yellow Pages. And then we walked over to his house when it was arranged to his apartment actually in in uh, New York and um, we, we walked over with with David Byrne me and Ben and um, he was very he was very lovely um, he looked he looked uh, well he looked fine to us actually and uh, he was watching uh, a Beatles documentary um, on the television which I think he was in the audience for um, and he his flat was lovely it was very very cramped but very uh, full of great posters and literature and records and we sat down in his in his kitchen and um, he he thought that that was the song that he would have liked as a as a as a um, that that was the poem that he would have liked as a song many years ago when he when he wrote it and i think he originally wrote it with dylan in mind but it never got done so he then recited that different versions of it and they were all recorded on cassette to try to get the same sort of quality of how uh, I don't know if we I don't know if we had managed that um, and then 
in '96, I went to India and I recorded. I always, I was always recording that stage on DAT, and I recorded some uh, sounds on a mud path near a temple in uh, Dera, which uh, was was the temple. And um, for those who are too too young to remember, uh, DAT is a digital audio tape. They look like little versions of VHS cassettes, which. If you're too young to remember that, you probably don't remember those either. But <laughs> yeah, carry on. <laughs> yeah, so the 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 sound the soundtrack and the music was recorded in in India, and then we put the two together again. And that's all thanks to um, meeting David Byrne, which is probably David Byrne is probably the reason I ever found out about you all because he signed you to his fairly new label, uh, Luaka Bop. Luakabop, yeah. Am I saying that correct? Luakabop, yeah. yeah. Um, and he signed you uh, for your Woman's Gotta Have It album, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was in 95, yeah. And that was uh, probably, I'm sure he was just attracted to your funk and uh, Indian instruments. And uh, bilingual, you, uh, you had songs on there in French and in Punjabi and English. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure um, what 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 he liked about it. I know that Yale and the third person who, who had the say, Cat, were totally into us, and I think they had to drag David into um, submitting to do it, <laughs> and it took him two weeks. <laughs> Uh, and then he finally relented. And one of the nice things that David has said was that every time, every time I, I do a song, that it's always upbeat. And he he actually said he was quite envious of it, um, that it was always upbeat. And um, it was it, he was he was uh, <laughs> um, yeah he was in awe of that. So that's that's a very nice thing. Yeah, he's he's having a bit of a renaissance right now himself. I don't know if you've been paying yeah. attention. Um, I've not paid that much attention, I have to admit. I know he was uh, doing a lot of, uh, like he did a few books and um, audio diaries and stuff, and now he's got his uh, Broadway show, which, uh, of course, is on hold for now. But, yeah, yeah. I, the the dance thing yeah. I wonder yeah but yeah that's that's beside the point anyway um I guess uh, I was gonna segue into that um we haven't mentioned that you guys had a very big hit once uh globally and it was uh I remember I saw the video for uh, Sleep on the Left Side and Brimful of Asha back to back on MTV back when they played music videos. Mm -hmm. um, and that was great. They were doing a, you know, playing two songs by each artist and both had these, you had these lovely videos with just like really really fetching colors, uh, very like kind of a 
1970s sort of color palette mm -hmm. and just really really chill music I guess I'd say Mohammed Rafi Trojan Records, and I was a big ska nerd, mm -hmm. and so I, I latched onto that and then started researching a lot of the other artists you were name-dropping, like uh, I went to the library and I got Lada Mangeshkar and Asha Bosley, uh, yeah. found some old cassettes, you know, and yeah. is that the music you grew up with? Yeah. The things you sing about in that song? Well, Hindi, Hindi music uh, from the videos and Punjabi music, Punjabi folk music um, and Sikh devotional music were the main, the main uh, bits of music that I was, I was into. And, and people like Nazrat Fateh Ali Khan, who, but he sung in Punjabi a lot anyway, and he loved the Punjabi language. Um, but yeah, with, with Brim for me, it was a song for us. It was a song about record collecting and getting into, um, lots of different artists and, uh, there's French artists, there's Jacques Dutronc, there's a, um, uh, Mon Public, which is a George Brassel, uh, song, um, there's Trojan as you've as you've mentioned. So there's reggae. Um, there's there's a whole heap of different things, and it, just that list of uh, stuff for for us was was great because <laughs> that's what we we were into. So um, if there if there was a song that expressed us as a, as a band, that's probably the song. I suppose when it went to remix. Um, we we were doing very well with the album when I was born for the seventh time. Um, in its original form, that song um, was doing okay, and obviously it takes time to build something up in America. And we felt it was building up quite nicely. We got the Spin Album of the Year uh, in in ninety seven or ninety eight. I can't remember. Um, and then when that song came out, obviously that sort of blew a lot of what we were doing off course because um, it, it was so so massive. Um, when it was actually played to Burbank, uh, Warners, uh, they they slowed it down. They physically slowed, slowed it down. They said it was too fast. So obviously we heard it and said, well, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> it has to be its original speed. Um, and I, I don't think it's, it's, it's weathered 
it's, I think it's weathered very well. It hasn't really lost uh, too much charm. And I, I certainly don't think the original's lost that much charm either. Um, I mean, we tend to do songs quite slow anyway. You talked about the MTV two tracks. And again, I think that comes back down to not being musicians. I mean, if we were musicians, maybe we would have been uh, a little more up with it and be able to get the grasp of what we were doing musically and the tempo would but the tempo is part of us learning the song as we're doing the song and maybe that's where going back to uh, things sound very corn shop message from the wreckage it is soft rock shit tsb rock school all the grown super shit the supermodels well they can't get enough of it and then it was five years later that you came out with the follow-up official corner shop album yeah. uh, hand cream for a generation and your lead-off single um to follow up those two mellow hits was a scathing critique of the rock and roll industry with uh, lots of profanity and <laughs> and then you started your own label shortly after yeah is that is it any coincidence there the coincidence there was that we'd we'd gone through quite a lot of we, we've been on small labels medium labels and major labels and we'd gone through some business problems well label problems and we really put our all into hand cream for a generation and we knew i knew that we had to do that because of how when i was born had been received and a lot of people still put a lot of light on that album i don't think it's as good as hand cream for a generation and i don't actually think it's as good as judy sucks a lemon for breakfast either but we had to put a lot of effort in and when we when we did that when the album actually came out, we didn't think that the label reciprocated what uh, effort had gone into it. And so we found ourselves labelless <clears throat> in uh, 2002, 2003. Um, and then the, the the idea of an album, of a label then came after that very slowly. It came because we, we, we went around and visited people and um, we thought they were on more drugs than we were. So we decided to do the label ourselves. And the label has been uh, putting out some great stuff. You've, you've put out over 40 singles and albums since it started. Um, yeah. We see the label as an extension of, of ourselves because we, we just put stuff out that we liked. Um, we didn't really think where it was from. We, we've got stuff that was in Japan, America, Belgium, France, all over the place. Um, <clears throat> and we put it out because we love it. And there's there's no other remit to uh, to the label other than that. Um, so, and it, it's been nice to to do the label because I, I started not feeling too well uh, um, a few years after that. And the, the label was a good thing to uh, do as a sort of something that you could do without thinking too much. And um, 
whilst I was trying to get myself back together. All right. Well, to gender, I think we did it. Excellent. It's good to have done it. All right. Well, to Jinder Singh, thank you so much for talking with us today. Yeah. Um, his latest album, England is a Garden, from his band Corner Shop, is available from Ample Play Records, ampleplay.com, um, and distributed in the U.S. by Darla. Yeah. And streamable online, but uh, you got to get yourself a copy of this double gatefold LP if you can. Comes with a great poster. And here's I'm a Wooden Soldier. I'm a Wooden Soldier. I'm a Wooden Soldier. I'm a Wooden Soldier. Candy Stripes Officer. Oh, yeah.
Tschüss.